Hey guys, welcome to episode 16 of A Thompson and Other Disappointments. You may or may not know this, but before I found my feet with technology, um, I worked in recruitment for six years and uh, I was less than a total success story. Um, I was I was pretty shit at placing candidates and uh, I actually once unsuccessfully fired someone uh, and he just stayed at his desk for four weeks. And then it turned out that I hadn't actually sent him his notice period. And uh, so I had to cite it again. And it cost the company about £20,000. So that, that should give you an idea. That should give you a read of just how great I was at in-house recruitment. Um, anyway, my guests this week are uh, a couple of um, highly regarded agency recruiters. Uh, they run Finex Recruitment. I've uh, linked up with them on LinkedIn. And I really wanted to get an understanding of how technology has changed recruitment um, and what their thoughts are on how resourcing, how the labour market is going to shift and contort in the world that we're living in now with COVID, but then also in the future with regards to automation and, you know, robots eating jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, with that in mind, if you're interested in this too, uh, in tech and resourcing, um, the next hour is is pretty good. Uh, I, I had a great time speaking with Abhishek and Sam uh, from Finex Recruitment. So please, without further ado, welcome them to the show. Welcome. How are you both doing? We are all good. How are you keeping safe? Yeah, Hi very all. good. Um, I've had, yeah. well, I've, do you know what? I've had a cough for about three weeks and I've been thinking, right. this is it, Aid. This is the end for you. Uh, and it's, I've done a load of COVID tests and they all come back negative. So I'm now just begrudgingly accepting the fact that all it takes is a cough to, to put me on my backside. So... Absolutely. I mean, if you see, I'm wearing something around my neck. This is the new tie. Yeah. Doubles up. Oh, that. right. I thought it was like a sort of, I thought it was like a cravat or like some sort of fashion <laughs> exactly. thing. I was so, like, this man is so looking dead fashion. in air. This is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so welcome to the show. Um, we were just sort of, you know, before I started recording, uh, I was just giving you a bit of a, a broad overview of, of what the podcast is about and how it's you know it's broadly speaking a tech podcast we like to kind of pinpoint a few um uh, a few yeah like pressure points of where tech can impact society and where that might go um and on previous episodes you know we've, we've touched a lot on um uh artificial intelligence and last episode was on robotics um but an area that we haven't touched on so far has been actual like resourcing and recruitment um, and I'm aware of this industry. I, w I worked in recruitment for six years um, and I'm aware of technology kind of eating up jobs. Uh, so I thought, you know, who better to talk to me about how uh, tech, how robotics, how automation could eat into the labour market than a couple of professional recruiters um, and, and give me their insights. So uh, that's that's you guys. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you, Adrian, Thank for you. having us. And uh, we've kind of watched your podcast in the past as well, and most recently as well, and find it very interesting. So thank you for having yeah, us. Yeah, no, you're very uh, welcome. To give a little mm. background about us. So uh, I own about six businesses in different recruitment spaces and have personally been into recruitment since 2002, mm. which is a long, long time sure. ago. I uh, started off as a recruiter and I'm a business owner now, and Sam has uh, has been associated for me for four and a half years. Again, the same thing. He started with me as a recruiter. Now we are business partners, and we are into the tech recruitment space okay. currently. So that's a little introduction about how long we've been in the business and what we've been doing over the years. That's who we we are. We've been in the recruitment industry. We love it, and we we plan to continue for years and years. Mm. In Industry. How did you how did you f find your way into recruitment, Abhishek? Because I know from like a London perspective, it's it's essentially yeah. it's a job that um, a lot of people I worked with, a lot of my colleagues were like me. They sort of fell into it. Like I, I mean, my my story with recruitment is is essentially that I wanted to move to London. Uh, I had worked in offices yeah. in my hometown. And uh, a friend of mine worked in a recruitment agency and he said, oh, I'll put you in touch with this person. And long story short, I, I did. I just sort of fell into it and then I found my feet and I ended up 
staying in it for a few years. Um, is that the same uh, your end? Did you kind of fall into it, or was it something you were like, I could be good at this, I'm going to do recruitment? Well, I think most of us, when we're starting our careers, and I was pretty young when I started in recruitment, it, it's an accident for almost everyone. So what was the story behind me being in recruitment is wherein, you know, so we're based in India and, uh, you know, I was working for a company in India and calling businesses, trying to get them to, so you know, get some sourcing done from India. And there were different businesses, mostly U.S. businesses who were into mortgage reselling and things like mm. that. And so there was an idea that we should possibly explore the, the the market in the United Kingdom. So out of nowhere, I ended up on a pro on, on a website of a recruitment business, and I had no clues what they did, to be honest. And I just gave them a mm. call to see if uh, you know if you can have some business of them. And luckily, it worked out. And you know that's how we essentially started in recruitment back in the days. And initially. I joined as a recruiter. I didn't know what I was doing for a few months and then, you know, kind of started loving the job wherein you are talking to people, helping them find jobs. And, you know, the, the love grew over, over years and years. And, and, you know, that's how it happened. I mean, essentially, it wasn't planned. Mm. Uh, I was bored working in the local industry. I worked in a, in a chemical factory that my dad owned and, you know, managed it worked in IT for a very long time and I was just tired of being doing those things just bored and I, I wanted to try something new and that's how I ended up in recruitment really so it wasn't mm. planned but yes once you get into it you start liking it and then you continue for years and years in it so that's how it happened for me I'm sure Sam has has a different way in, in which he ended up in recruitment yeah, mine was mine was quite interesting so before before getting into uh, the recruitment business, uh, I used to manage my dad's business, which was into air conditioning and uh, EPC contracts. Mm. Uh, once I switched, uh, the business went south, and uh, I had to I found out a new job, and I used to work with a one of the leading uh, names in the travel and tourism industry from UK, okay. and I was a specialist in sales for cruise liners. Okay. So basically, I kind of handle the UK and the European customers who are looking to go out on holidays, as everyone loves to go out on holidays. Sure, yeah. And back that point of time, it was everything was on the pure telecalling sales. Like there used to be websites which were, and I'm not sure if they exist anymore. It used to be called as Icelogging, right. which is quite a, yeah, quite a, quite a famous website. And um, I was one one of the persons responsible for cruise holidays. I was kind of bored, uh, the same thing like uh, Abhishek was, and uh, one of my friends actually told me that there exists a recruitment industry. Yeah. Uh, then I had no clue that what recruitment is and uh, what actually happens. I was like, okay, you call up someone and the person would actually listen to you and change the jobs on your call. Wow, that's that's like that's like a rocket science mm. to me. So I ended up uh, coming with my friend for an interview to Abhishek. I was not the one for interview. I was actually sitting outside. Once the interview finished, uh, he came off for a coffee and I kind of ended up having a chat with him. And the next day I came for an interview. I quit mm -hmm. my job and started working with him. So I started off again as a medical recruiter, okay. then moved on to the IT space as well. And as, as Abhishek said, uh, once you start into the business, you actually fall over and over in love mm. with it. And here we are, here, here. I started off as an employee with him, and he has been a, uh, he has this vision, obviously, to develop people. Uh, that's, he has this tagline, which is really nice on LinkedIn, which is called as investor in people. Yeah, that's nice. And yeah, he solidly believes in that because he believes that investing in people will make you grow more rather than investing in just businesses. And that's how actually our collaboration kind of came to a partnership and we started off with the Phoenix recruitment and I'm here right now sitting in front of you sure well that's quite a yeah quite an inspiring tale there uh, Abhishek and and Sam we should, all, we should all get mugs of coffee and just walk outside <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like is, is the recruitment industry in India I, I suppose when I think of like recruitment in London I think in fact, actually, if I 
reference a previous episode of the podcast, I was uh, interviewing a guy, uh, a financier, about crypto trading. Um, and he was regaling me with his work history. He worked in recruitment for five or six years as well. Um, and he was sort of telling me about how when he was, you know, 25, 26 in London, there's very few other jobs that pay as well as recruitment. Like you could go into, you know, a, a junior sales role somewhere. But in terms of making placements of like contract C-sharp developers or, you know, £100,000 project managers into banks and, you know, and you're making a cut out of all of these. And if there's, you know, if, if, if people are listening and they're unfamiliar with how recruitment works, if you place a £500 a day contractor into a bank you make a cut every single day that that guy goes into work for the entirety of his six-month contract and a lot of these guys it's not a six-month contract it's like a rolling like extension so you could end up with a hundred contractors 200 contractors all under your belt and every day you're just earning more like it's such a cash rich job or at least at that time when he was doing it uh it was um it's like you know it's not footballer money but it's it's good money if you're like a 25 26 year old kid in london um is it the same in india is it you know is it rock star money or is it it is, it is pretty much the same in india and uh, to be honest the world's connected now so anywhere in the world the recruitment market is the same because you're not placing candidates in a geography you're placing them all over sure. the world so whether it be England, whether it be Australia or, or even Africa, mm. right? So you can place a candidate anywhere in the world. And obviously the payments are in, in the local currency. So what works in the favor of India is because of the currency conversion as well, the money becomes very attractive. So it is a very attractive field to be in all over the world. And you're right in saying that, you know, you just have to place a candidate once and, and, and then you have rolling mm. contracts and make a lot of lot of good money and it's it's not even tough I mean if you if you're just placing one candidate every month it rolls over wherein you have 12 or 15 candidates working and it's just cash in the bank every month mm. uh, so you raise your invoices so it, it is very lucrative finance financially and I, I think I still like you I believe a lot of people don't know mm. this they feel that you know yes you're right it's not footballers money but it's, it's still very good money that you can make in the industry yeah. and it's an industry as well at the same time i mean ultimately you're helping people find the right job and if we spend eight or nine hours or ten hours every day in an office so you're helping someone be at a place where he can actually be happy so it's, it's a good thing as well uh, from a moral perspective as well rather than selling you know anything else that might not add value for long term to for a candidate yeah yeah have you found um <clears throat> i mean obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic um and there's a big focus on work from home in a lot of countries yeah. um the the business that i work for like my day job they've been doing a sort of you know remote working consultancy piece where they'll say you know how many days a week would you like to come into the office or you know do you think you can do your job perfectly from home and, and that kind of vibe um and and half of me sort of says yeah that's the right way to go because people want to be around their kids more they want to be able to they, they don't want to spend two hours going in on a train and two hours coming back on a train and, and and hemorrhaging money as well like on train fares certainly in the uk it's like you know for me it would be about 400 pounds a month to go into london and back every day so i i i'm uh, passionately in favor of work from home where the employee uh, wants that but there's also another part of me that's like well hang on if i'm proving that i can do this job from home remotely and they don't need to see me in the office what is yeah. stopping my employer from going well we don't need someone in london to do this we should just get abhishek to get us a developer in india for like half the price yeah. And they should just do the work. Yeah. Like, so are you noticing? Like, are you getting a lot of calls from like London-based businesses who are like, "We should, you know, we we can do this all remotely. We'll get somebody from India or somebody from here." Like, are you operating as an international piece now, or is it kind of domestic Indian well, stuff? We've always we've always been an international okay. piece. So we've always had businesses that have kind of outsourced what their work to us. So it's it's nothing new that is happening now, in terms of increased inquiries. 
I think it's, it's still the same. There is no change because the argument is on both sides. Uh, work from home or not work from home to, to get business done from outside your office or to do it within the mm. office. That, that, is, that has always, that, that's always going to be up for debate. And some people are going to be in, in favor of it. Some people aren't going to be in favor of it. Uh, but overall, work from home, and we've given our employees work from home during the pandemic time. And on, on the question of productivity, it's again, uh, you know, the, the, the balance is wherein some, of, some people who are working from home are more productive. Mm. Some of them are less productive because of being in an environment where there are distractions. So I don't think so. There is a set answer of whether you 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 should be working from home or whether you should be working from office. I think both the things have uh, have got their own distinctions, and typically the the office environment provides a certain vibe and and certain amount of discipline to people that that normally not everyone has in their life. So I think in the long run, I don't think so the work from home ex experiment or or whatever the reason is for the time being will continue. I think people will be back to the office and you wouldn't be able to take away offices. But yes, there would be some amount of flexibility that we haven't seen in the past, wherein some people might be allowed to work from home. And usually people take leave when when there is a family emergency of something and, and you know, it's a leave. For yeah. Them. Now, with work from home, I think that's going to change. So if somebody has some family emergencies, company will support them and say, okay, why don't you work from home for five mm. days and come back to office after you've resolved the situation. They'll be more flexible around mm. that rather than, you know, uh, having more people work from home. Yeah. That's how I see it planning out. Okay. And, and, the, the other sort of area of interest I had was around the skill of recruitment. So the bread and butter of recruitment or, or of like a recruiter's life, right, is so you, you go and have a coffee with a hiring manager. Um, you get the heads up on a roll. Uh, you go back to your desk and you think, yeah, OK, this guy needs three Java developers with business knowledge in equities or something. And then you spend some hours like networking and looking through your like CVs and, you know, various uh, like monster databases and, you know, IT jobs boards and stuff. Um, and then yeah. you've you, like you've matched the requirement. You find like five people who have got equities knowledge and Java and blah, blah, blah. And then you go back to the hiring manager and you say, here's five CVs. I think these guys would be amazing. Um, but that's quite an arduous process, isn't it? Could that be? Like, do you think it's possible to automate that? Do you think that technology could Im improve it and fine tune it? Technology is already helping in that space. Uh, you know, the, the days of having a coffee with a hiring manager are are kind of past. It doesn't happen really? that often these days. Yeah, although it, it it was it was really good. I've lived in the UK for three and a half yeah. years, so. I kind of was meeting people and, you know, networking physically and, you know, meeting them and chatting with them. But that doesn't happen that often these days. There's already a shift yeah. in that, uh, primarily because you can have a lot of conversation over video calls and you can talk to people, you know, over over phone and, and, and things like that. And you connected better. Uh, but it was a good thing. But I think technology, you're right in saying that the technology is changing yeah. that. Whether I would like that to change, well, I still like to go out and meet people and, and have a one-to-one -one conversation with them in person because mm -hmm. that, that, that would always be more satisfying and it'll give you uh, a, a better overview of what they're looking mm -hmm. for and you can build better relationships. But it's, it's the age of technology, so everything's still happening, but over video calls these mm. days. And I think it will, the, the physical contact will still be there. People might have a, have a video call and talk to clients for two, three years, but ultimately they will end up having a coffee together at yeah, some point. Yeah. So <clears throat> that will. The other, th other thing I was thinking of was with, with like how tech could improve recruitment and and hr and like people's career prospects really but it would 
here's here's my idea right is you would have a sort of yeah a, a cross between github which is for anyone listening or watching that doesn't know what github is it's like a, a cloud uh a website where you post all of your code and people can see the projects that you're working on and and that's your repository right um uh, but it would be a cross between github and linkedin so you would have all of your projects uh on there and your like your jobs sort of intertwined and then every time you finish a piece of work your hiring manager would then tick it off and people like yourself abhishek or sam uh you could then go on to this github like website and you could see very clearly if this person had worked on an equities java application or if they had completed a piece of work that they said that they because we we still live in sort of quite a basic world where people can just bullshit on their cvs and if you had this sort of you know maybe blockchain like decentralized thing that couldn't be hacked you couldn't lie on it because as soon as you put something on there that said my name is Abe thompson and i say that i've worked on um a new podcast platform that uses uh I don't know, um, Electron or like, you know, PHP or so. But I've never done either of those things. So, you know, but but I'm lying about it. I could potentially get an interview. And if I'm going in for a CTO role or like a tech director role, and I'm going to be the most senior technical person, I might get that job because the CEO, like the business person, doesn't know anything about. But So there's a gaping hole there in that process that a site like that could tick off. But... I suppose the challenge for it would be it would take everyone to be very grown up about what a job actually is. Because if I go up to my boss now and I say, can you please tick this off for my GitHub site? He might say, well, what are you doing? Are you looking for a new job? Like, why do you want people to know what you've completed? Like, you know, whereas in the real world, people stay in jobs for about what, like on average, how, how long do you think an average perm job lasts these days? Well, palm jobs. I mean, well, Sam can. I think on the on the tech side, I would say a good candidate, uh, anywhere between fifteen to eighteen months. Really? Either they, yeah, either quite short then. Uh, yeah, it is. For example, yeah. the London tech market, um, uh, speaking, focused on React developers mm. and Python developers. This like a sudden surge of demand, which has like grown over by what 300 or 400 percent in the last two and a half mm. years. People are switching careers in like six months, eight months. I know candidates who have like worked in big organizations like BBC, Sky, Virgin Media, for whom it took like what five and a half years to become a tech lead. On the other hand, I know a few candidates who literally, what, one and a half years, two years, and they were the tech mm. leads. Either you get a tech lead position or a massive salary increase, to be honest, which sometimes as recruiters, when we hear these things, we're like, oh, really? Is he really on that salary? <laughs> Obviously, uh, from a recruiter standpoint of view, you cannot, you cannot be forcing someone uh, to kind of tell the salary because it's obviously the candidate's choice and it's very well respected. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when we start comparing these things, we're like, oh, my gosh, does the salary really exist? For a fact, I know a candidate who was, who was on uh, No Names Taken. Uh, 90,000 base and I was I was uh, putting him for a role which was around 110, 115. Yeah. Uh, literally less than three days he came back and told me that Sam I've got an offer of 150,000 with a 10% equity and they are giving me a remote work option for the entire life and that, that, that particular candidate was actually originally from Spain so he had family back in Spain he accepted the offer, moved back to Spain, and like what, one and a half years is now the CTO of this organization. Yeah. Wow. So you look at this candidate's graph, and you look at a normal candidate's graph, you'll be like, oh, these are like north and south. That's so amazing. In coming back to the same thing, I think 12 months, 15 months in a tech position right now, it's, it's, it's really good. Yeah. For a fact, if you look at LinkedIn, uh, not the normal LinkedIn that uh, obviously is available to all the people out there, but in the recruiter versions that yeah. we use. LinkedIn itself has started a new feature that ends funny as well. That if a candidate is there since like one year, it automatically puts you might be open to new work. Really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Quite presumptuous. So I was, I was, yeah, I was speaking to the account manager for LinkedIn who handles our entire account thing. And I was like, this is a new feature because previously we used to have people who are like open to new work or might be open to yeah. new work. Now this, this, this has a new third option 
which are like they will be definitely open to new work or definitely open to hearing because they have been in the company for more than one year. Yeah. There you go. The yeah, timelines yeah. have shortened. I mean, back in the days, it used to be people used to stay in job for at least three, four years before they think of changing if everything's going yeah. fine. But it seems to the the time period for somebody looking for a change has gone down drastically. Well, now. yeah. I mean, I I thought you were going to say something along the lines of you know two years, two and a half years, or so. But it turns out I was. It's even more exaggerated than I than I thought it would be. Um, yeah. So, do you think just going back to my sort of uh, dystopian GitHub slash LinkedIn site. Like, do you do you think that's yeah. where we're headed? Do you think that that will be how people kind of track their progress? I think you've answered part of the question yourself. I don't think so. Uh, the people who are running the businesses would be comfortable with an employee going on GitHub and and you know posting a code there. So some of them might. Yeah. Be. But most of them won't be because the kind of uh, the kind of technology that they are working on, they would want to keep it confidential. I mean, yeah, so I, don't I don't mean like literally posting the code. I mean, like, you know, I yeah. just want a little byline with a green tick next to it that yeah. my manager says, yeah, he's done some of this. So that then you yeah. or like whoever else in Barclays or, you ah. know, Santander, that where yeah. I'm interviewing, they can yeah. instantly check and see what my skill level is rather than this sort of yeah. this era of frankly, very frustrating tech tests. You know, it's like Why, yeah. uh, when I when I was hiring yeah. two guys into my team last year, uh, the recruiter asked me if I was going to send them any take home tech assignments. And I said, such as, and he said, um, well, you know, some of our clients, they give them, or, or they say, can you build us like battleships in Node.js? And can you, um, yeah. you know, can you build a internet movie database clone and send it back to us? And, and I remember from when I was job hunting, I was like, this like it's it's never just a two-hour job it's like something that you you end up spending like three or four nights on or, or maybe i'm just really shit i don't know but like i would end up spending a lot of time on these things and and if you're job hunting like let's assume that you're interviewing at like three four five places if you're a react developer in london um and you're doing yeah. tech tests for each of these that is a huge amount of time so i ended up saying like yeah. no i'm not sending them any tech tests um you know we're gonna we're gonna do this pro process quick slick and we're gonna make decisions quickly and what we'll do instead to assess whether they're good or not is i will pair with them um i'll i'll do like 45 minutes of programming with them and then i'll get a pretty good read on where they're at um and i i personally think like not to pat myself on the back too much but i feel like i made pretty good to sit like they're both very strong react developers um so i think that worked well uh from from my selfish yeah. perspective is that do, do you get a lot of tech test stuff do you get much feedback from devs are they pissed off with it like i was or yeah, well, yeah. that's really interesting as a proposition uh that you just kind of suggested it kind of gives me a new idea about pair programming mm. with the hiring manager so that kind of saves time yeah we, like we already on a daily basis have like if you are sending out 10 candidates and honestly speaking i think five or six candidates would either refuse to take a take-home mm. tech test or either would not be really comfortable. Then comes the next alternative, which you just mentioned about, GitHub. Mm. Now, from a candidate's perspective, it's right, I agree. But again, coming back to the client's perspective, uh, the GitHub is fine, the repository is fine. But how does a hiring manager or a HR manager who has got like zero knowledge of what is JavaScript or what is Python or what is any framework actually make an assessment or verify the work that one mm. is doing? So you have to involve your technical team into that. Obviously, they have they would have to take up time of their daily schedule and kind of get onto it. So now we have a few clients, very interesting clients, for a fact, who have kind of come up to this thing that they are happy to take the GitHub repositories mm. and kind of they have their own tools and technologies, which which kind of this is where AI comes into place, where a robot is actually testing the validity of that particular repository right. and giving results. And that kind of is changing the way that we look at the tech test processes going forward. Yeah. But it's, it's like on a, on a five, ten calls, five candidates would say they either you can share my GitHub or I'm not interested. Three would say yes. And honestly, out of the three, only one would complete and two would back yeah. out saying that oh, I don't have the time, I was busy over a weekend, which is, which is acceptable. 
because these are long, long tech tests that need to be done. Just like you said, build a battleship on a Node.js thing is <laughs> not an easy thing to be doing. The, over the, the next thing two is, days. you might be doing it every day, but when you're actually submitting yeah. it to someone, you want to impress and you want to you want to double check things. You want to make sure that it's right. So. That's what takes the time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's a huge difference between commercial software quality and what you would yeah. personally just let slide. <laughs> it's like if yeah, I was building yeah, battleships exactly. for myself, I'd be like, uh, well, who gives a shit if there's like if they're all the same size ship? Just yeah, it'd be all right. I don't care if it sinks itself. Like that's fine. Um, yeah. Okay, that's that's all interesting. Um, okay, so. Another area of, of interest for me was, um, like, broadly speaking, like the labor market. And I touched on this in the last episode with um, a guy called Ukshay Morier, who is a roboticist, um, a C++ guy. And um, But I'd be interested to get your thoughts, because where he works sort of on this side of the fence as a roboticist, you guys work on the other side of the fence in terms of, like, supplying them. Um, now, with... With the era that we live in, where more and more jobs are being eaten up by uh, automation, and I'm sort of thinking specifically around, let's say, 10 years ago, checkout staff began to be replaced by uh, self-checkout. So you would you know, scan all your own goods and stuff. So it, instantly, that's a few jobs gone. Um, now what we're seeing in the last month or two is these like Amazon cashless checkout uh, stores. Um, there's one famously opened in London, I think, last month. And the technology will now allow you to go in, scan the items by yourself off the thing, and then as you leave, it will detect that you're leaving and it will just charge your like your credit card that's registered to your Amazon account. So uh, what does that mean? Well, it means that not only are we replacing a lot of jobs on the checkouts that were already replaced by the self-checkouts, but we're also potentially replacing like the very few jobs that there were left in that sort of customer service space within that shop environment and that it's not just going to be an amazon uh supermarket it's going to that technology will be sold on to tesco and sold on to sainsbury's and sold on to wh smith's and so on um so let's assume dystopianally if that's the word um that all of those front of house sales staff jobs go and that is, you know, 50,000, 100,000 people of the labor market are now jobless, low skilled or lower skilled uh, on welfare. Um, do you have confidence as recruiters in the tech space that the 100,000 jobs that were eaten by the robots, there will then be another 100,000 jobs created for C++ developers? Do you think one will replace the other? Well, as you can see, that I've been around for a long time with the gray, with the white beard and everything. So, somebody, this debate on similar lines has happened in the past. I mean, if you think about when computers were invented and when they were rolled out across the world, it was the same fear that people had that computers are coming, they're going to eat up jobs, and you know what's going to happen? The labor market is going to crash and everything. However, what happened was, on the contrary, the labor market grew. There were more jobs now no. than before. So it's the same thing that is happening uh, with robotics, AI, and, and all the other emerging, emerging technologies. People are worried that there would be jobs that would be lost. And that's true. There would be job losses, uh, in, like you mentioned, that the till workers would no longer be required. So there would be job losses that has been the case historically as well. But what happens is when something like this happens, people reskill and they move into better jobs. So yes, you will lose a till worker, but you'll have more programming jobs. You'll have you some something new will always come up, and that that has been historically been the case. The economies. Uh, economics says that you know the market finds an equilibrium in in whatever situation so we, we are facing another of that equilibrium balance wherein one kind of jobs might go but it might lead to more intelligent jobs possibly better lifestyles mm. and that has been the case uh, since ages and it's going to continue so that's my view on what's going to happen in the future with robotics and AI and and a lot of other technologies making disruptive changes 
uh, to the world. However, I don't see a real danger of unemployment of the uh, in, in the labor market. I think it's just going to be that people are going to start working in a different profile, most likely a better profile than what they have worked at so far. Mm, I see. I feel like you, like you've got a way more positive uh, outlook than I do because I sort of feel like um, uh, like if I look at the setup at the moment of Google, Amazon, Facebook, all these big companies who pay a crushingly low amount of tax, certainly in the UK. And let's say that these traditionally like labor market, lower skilled jobs um, uh, slowly get eaten up by robots. Uh, and then the lower skilled individuals who can't retrain to be a C++ developer or whatever, like let's just say it's a guy pushing a trolley around or, you know, a, a trainee hairdresser that is then replaced by a robot hairdresser or something. Um, yeah. They then go into the welfare system and they're on the dole. Yeah. And that welfare system is traditionally funded by tax. And if Google and Facebook and Apple and all these big companies are the winners, they're the companies, the corporations that are growing as a result of this scenario. And if they're paying no tax and the other companies are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, then there's going to be a, yeah. a, a crunch point where the tax is going to dry up and there won't be sufficient support there and resources for the people that are left. And because the majority of people are actually within that labor force, here's my dystopian projection is that you'll end up in yeah. a situation in like 2030 or 2035 where about 80% of the UK is in this underclass, like rotting city of disease and chaos. And then there'll be <laughs> there'll be 20% of people who work for Google and Facebook and Apple who will live in this gated fortress, protected, and they'll just yeah. be fed grapes the whole time. Like, do, am I totally off base with that? Do you think that's realistic or do you think that's... I think you're not, because there are already Hollywood movies made on the scenario that you're discussing, where corporations control uh, a gated fortress, uh, and you know people who follow the corporation live and are wealthy and well off, and there's a section of people who kind of are out of it and who are poor and struggling. Yeah. So you, you're not wrong in in your assumption. There are already Hollywood movies made on that. But being positive again, I really don't think so that will be the case because I've, I've been looking through LinkedIn quite regularly as to what people have been doing and uh, recently I had a I had an excellent example of why that's not going to happen the main worry that we are talking about is people skilling up to be to you know moving to the next level wherein they can be hired by these corporations or any other corporations mm. that possibly might develop in the in the coming years and uh, I've been I've known a few people since when I was in the UK and they are above a certain age where you know technology might not be that easily absorbed so mm. to say uh, however I've seen several success stories in there I mean I've, I I know somebody who possibly is the age of my my grandmom and she's running a digital marketing company Oh great what did she retrain so she's she retrained herself, yes, exactly. So people are taking up technology at a very rapid pace, mm. right? And I've got gray hairs, right? And I'm, I, I'm on social media yeah. as well. So I've kind of learned it. And, and you look at kids these days, right? They're absorbing technology really, really fast. And, and they're teaching their, the older generation as well. The older generation is also interested. I mean, you look at the number of people and look at the age groups that are online at the moment, you'd be astonished from what it was before. Yeah. So people are kind of constantly taking in technology, they're understanding it, and, and they're evolving. Maybe for a little while, there might be the scenario that you're talking about, but I don't think so. It's going to continue for long. People have are very resilient. They normally are able to learn new skills. And that's, that's, that's what we as human beings have done over the ages. That's why we are evolved, because we've always been progressive. We've, we've learned new skills, and that's what's got us here. So for, for a little bit, maybe there might be problems in the labor market, and the situation might not be as grim as you're painting it to yeah. be, but there might be some problems. Uh, however, in the long run, 
being very positive about things, I think people will skill up and, you know, mostly, I think everybody's going to work, work for one organization or the other, whether big or small. That's what we all do, isn't it? Yeah. So at the end of the day, on the question of taxes, well, I'm, I'm sure people who need the money from the taxes will figure a way of kind of, you know, getting them to pay more as well. <laughs> Maybe there's a technology that, that might be evolving around it wherein they can actually track everything and say, well, you owe us money. Yeah, I thought you meant like, I, I thought you were alluding to just outright like rioting then. I thought you were like, I'm sure those people can figure out a way to get more money. Yeah, probably by cra <laughs> crashing a oh, fucking course. van through the parliament doors. and shit. <laughs> you know, I've got an interesting question yeah. for you. Uh, it's, 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 it's a funny one. Have you seen this movie 2020, right? Uh, I don't think so. No. What's the uh, gist of it? Where the world comes to an end, the whole thing. 2020. Let me quickly Google it. Hold on. Is that the movie, yeah. right? So you should you should see this. This this is a podcast guy who's sitting in a van, and uh, he kind of is is uh, doing a forecast that the world is going to end and the riots are going to happen, and Everything is going to happen. So suddenly, out of this whole conversation, I just came so through my mind. Sam, Sam's asking you, were you that guy in the van? <laughs> like as, I, as I'm what, talking on the podcast about how bad the world is going to get, then it's actually happening around me. That's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, it is a serious problem at the moment with uh, what's happening. And yes, you know, nobody can predict as to whether the job losses that happen due to the emerging technologies are going to be taken up or not. But traditionally, the reason I'm positive is there have been so many things in that have been invented over the years and every time the same debate mm. takes place as it did when computers were invented that, you know, it's going to eat up jobs and technology is going to replace people and what are these people going to do, how they're going to survive. But in the end, we, we tend to find our ways and, you know, everybody's lives get better. That's, that's what technology is there to do mm. in the first place. So I don't, there might be some problems. I'm not completely ruling out what you're saying that there wouldn't be mm. problems for people who are who are kind of working in spaces that are gonna be replaced by technology. But I'm sure that in the long run, technology is only gonna help uh, make people's lives better, give them better, better work mm. profiles and give them a better life. Yeah, overall. I think, I mean, if I, if I take your point and run with it a little bit, I imagine when uh, ATM machines first came out, I imagine probably yeah. there was some hysteria around that. Like they thought, oh, well, this is going to be, you know, every bank cash cashier person is going to be, you know, people won't go in the bank anymore. Yeah. And that's a load of jobs. And, and as yeah. we know, there's still a market for people going into branches of their bank to talk about their mortgages and what you actually end up like the output of that is you end up with a more specialized service so when you go into the bank it's to have an actual conversation about your situation and what you want to do with your money rather than queuing up you know 15 people deep and then going yeah can i take 25 quid out please so it's become more efficient <laughs> like it's helped make that situation more efficient so i suppose to some extent maybe something like that could happen in supermarkets like if you got if you get rid of all of the cash uh till jobs and then the staff that yeah. are there are there to ask questions you know like have you got any more of Absolutely. this or when are you going to stock in my favorite beer again or you know those sorts of it would become a more i don't know maybe that's a very generous interpretation of of uh automating that part of the shop uh i'm not sure um but then there's there's also this other part of me that's thinking um let's say that there is a temporary bump in the road <clears throat> where a lot of these jobs are automated and a bunch of people end up on the dole um but then the next generation would not be reliant or they wouldn't be expecting to get that job in the supermarket so they would their sights would be set on a different yeah. thing or they would be thinking i better not fuck up my college course because otherwise there's no yeah. you know there's no jobs there for me or, or and so on um so yeah I, I guess there's you know there's a route out of it and there's a there's a positive lean to it i just worry that you know i've i've got two kids and i worry that in 10 years time or 15 years time when they're first going out to get their first job there's going to be nothing for them i'm going to be like why don't you work in a bar and they'll go because it's just robot barmaids in there 
And he'll be like, why don't you, you know, wash cars every Saturday? And they'll go, because everyone has a self-cleaning car now, Dad. And I'll be, I'll be like, oh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, uh, to be honest, I, I've got small kids as well. And the amount of technology that they are taking in at the moment, yeah. I mean, uh, there were no phones in my time. Now everybody, you know, they're, they're so good on the phones that they, they can teach me tricks as to how to do things yeah. these days. So I'm sure that we might, you know, you might be telling your kids what you're saying and, and they will answer exactly the same way, but there's definitely going to be something yeah. for them to do. I don't worry about that When, when they play with the phones, uh, is, is that you, I mean, be honest, is that you making them make calls for you in the recruitment business? <laughs> Well, I wouldn't mind that, to be honest. <laughs> Give them an early You'd be like, right, here's your call list, 100 calls a day, and I, w I want three leads from each of you. Uh, That's not a bad yeah. idea. <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, they've been in the office as well, and, and they kind of, they, they kind of uh, like being in the office as well. So I'm not surprised if one fine day they, they actually pick up the call and the phone and start dialing yeah. someone saying, okay, oh, let for me sure. do this. Yeah. Well, once they work out how lucrative yeah. it is, then yeah, they'll be in there every day from like age 14, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I suppose that's another thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, if I think back to when I was like 14, 15, the idea that I could have become a programmer would have been a distant fantasy to me and so if somebody had said yeah. technology is going to eat up your job i would have thought oh fuck like i'm there's no way i can like i can turn this situation around like how am i going to do that but now i think in 2021 i'm like it's not actually that hard to educate yourself like back in the day you'd have to go to college you'd have to go to university get a computer science degree do an internship etc etc and nowadays it's like like I and other people who I'm sure you've spoken to are, I mean, the, the lady that you were just referring to a minute ago, Abhishek, we're, we're examples, real life examples of people who have educated ourselves and moved from this industry into this industry. So it's, it's totally possible that in 10 years time, 15 years time, um, you know, somebody that historically would have worked in a supermarket or done this or done that, and those jobs have been eaten up. But now they're in a situation where actually it's not that much of an ask to say to them, look, spend six weeks learning this, come back, and then you can work at Google, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, if I look at my situation, my career has been the other way around. So I started off, off as a programmer, reached to the level of uh, software architect oh, wow. design. And then yeah. IT. So it was the other way around. When everybody was getting into IT, I was getting what made out you, of IT. What made you get and out the, though, Abhishek? Did you just like, let's talk about that day that you had where you were like, all right, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the, it's the long. So when I started in IT, I was very, very young. And all throughout my college life, I was, you mentioned IBM. So I had that IBM Butterfly laptop that was a, that, that was a piece of equipment that you would be proud of at, in those days. And I used to go to college and, and sit in the library and, and code. So throughout my college life, I was coding. I was working. And when I got into jobs, I was giving 14 hours a, a, a day to what, what needed to be done. And it just reached a point wherein I felt that I'm not enjoying the young age of that, that mm. I'm at. And, you know, this is too much. To do at this age and i just moved away from it it was very <laughs> lucrative even back in the days because at, at top positions it used to pay very well i mean at the age of 22 i had a shopper driven wow. car baller yeah uh, back in, that that was that was one of the perks that you used to get at that time that if you if you reach a certain yeah. level in it you would get a uh, you would get a car that you would be chauffeur driven because you know you are supposed to be the intelligent yeah. guy out of the crowd so I, I i was i had all of that and i get i thought about my life and i wasn't getting the quality of life that i had imagined for myself and mm -hmm. i moved out of it and i've done okay so far so this i've done it the other yeah. way around to be honest when it was getting out of it i got out of it 
and I'm doing something yeah, else. Yeah, we're today. like opposites then, because I did recruitment, and uh, I'll be honest, I wasn't very good at it. Um, I worked, I worked in house, like I worked in a couple of different investment banks, and uh, I would review CVs yeah. that were coming in from agencies. Um, uh, and then there was this big push in London to get your in-house recruiters to start finding candidates themselves, like to basically be agency recruiters, yes. but internal. And I had a lot of yes. mixed feelings yeah. about that because I felt like the job of an in-house recruiter was essentially like vendor management, like third party consultancy management yeah. and, re and relationship management. Yeah. Uh, and it changed from being a sort of projecty role to being a sales role almost overnight. And I didn't think that the sort of person yeah. that was good at project management and being methodical and managing relationships internally, I didn't think that was the same skill set as being a agency recruiter uh, and being, you know, really salesy yeah. and making a hundred calls a day and all that stuff. Um, and and I, th yeah. I still think I was probably right about that because I just, I, I tried to get candidates, you know, G'd up and, uh, but there was no commission structure either. So you were sort of moving from doing project management to uh, to dealing with candidates and trying to make placements, but for no material benefit. Like you yeah. would still make the same salary every month. Um, and so yeah. I ended up like bailing out of it. I just thought this is not for me. I'm not natural. I mean, I'm very chatty. I like talking to people, but I'm not salesy. I can't sort of go, yeah. you should, you should definitely get this. You know, I just assume people can see through me. I don't want to lie to people. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I made the switch to, to retrain uh, not long after that. Um, yeah. So, okay. And um, I suppose like we, we haven't got much time left, um, but I thought it would be, uh, like another area of of fun to like to prod uh would be so you seem like a very positive guy abhishek as to you sam um and you know there's a lot to be positive about within the recruitment industry it's a i mentioned earlier it's a cash rich industry um it's a great time for it especially if you're recruiting front-end developers um and tech is really exciting as well at the moment um but if we take that positivity and we flip it around uh Okay. You must deal with some really like nightmare candidates as well, because like, there's a lot of great candidates. I, I've spoken to loads of great candidates when, when I'm hiring people in and when I was a recruiter. But I've also spoken to some very questionable individuals. Um, so have you? <laughs> is it the same in India? Like, have you had nightmare candidates? Who's who's your worst? What is, is it? It's the same all over the world. I wouldn't say nightmare candidates but yeah there are some difficult individuals i mean there are several stories and you know we used to have recruiter jokes back in the days and uh, these were true stories one of the them one of the jokes that i remember is that so this guy goes for an interview uh arrives 45 minutes before yeah. the interview and then uh, you know he's he's sat there and they ask him to go get a coffee and come back and he's like no i'm gonna sit here I'm, i have yeah. to make a call and in a room full of people where people are working, he starts talking very loudly on the phone. And when this time for interview comes up, he says, well, so they say, OK, we the interview is ready. You can have the interview. And this guy goes, can't you see I'm busy on a call? <laughs> so you, have, you get candidates like that. And and we've all faced candidates uh, that that kind of have been like that. The, the first one that comes to my mind was a candidate who was also studying law. And so normally when you place candidates, you have an interview and then the, they, get, they get an offer and yeah. they get a contract. This guy, at the first call, he spoke to me very nicely, listened to the job that, that we had to offer. And then uh, he said, I'll come back to you tomorrow. And I'm thinking, OK, maybe he got, he's got to discuss it with his partner yeah. or, you know, reassess what his situation is. So I'm waiting for him to come back. And then the next day I get an email from him and he's drafted his own contract for the conditions that mm. he's setting as to how he's going to work. Wow. <laughs> some of the conditions that he mentioned, it was completely legal language. Some of the conditions that he'd set, it, it, was, it would have been impossible for anybody to hire yeah. him those conditions. And I thought, well, let me speak to him and tell him it doesn't yeah. work this way. You know, you keep 
we, you are also looking for a job as the employer is looking to hire you and you know he's the one who's going to yeah. be making the offer so i had a conversation with him and this guy's like i'm studying law and i'll stick to these conditions you send these to the employer and then set up an interview now if an employer gets a contract from a prospective candidate that he yeah. hasn't even interviewed put everybody off so i kind of i had a few good relations and i still wanted the guy to be hired so i spoke to them saying look i've got a candidate who's studying law he's brilliant but you know he's he's kind of there's a strange thing about him and he's prepared a contract before he gives the interview and some of them like okay send us the because of the good relationships we i some of them actually said yes send us we, we, if he's if he you say he's good we won't want to read mm. what is written and then pretty much everybody came back saying we don't want to interview him and uh, you know uh, just yeah. send us somebody else so i was giving this guy a feedback as to how the market works and he wouldn't listen at all he kept calling me for five yeah. months on a regular basis asking me updates have you sent my contract out to businesses what have yeah. they done about it why am i getting interviews and he just kept calling me and calling me every week and he he would spend half an hour when he calls me in wow talking that's about like, his contract and why <clears throat> that's like going on to a dating site and in your dating profile like listing all the things that you expect of the, of like your it's like nobody <laughs> wants to go out with that guy that's <laughs> well, finally, uh, finally, what I ended up doing is I actually gave him contact number of other recruitment agencies, saying you can try with them. Not because I wanted yeah. to bump him off, but I genuinely wanted to help the guy, and I thought somebody somewhere might yeah. be interested in his conditions and might take him on. And, and you know, after a while, he did get a job, although not through an agency yeah. for himself. But that was. that was a horrible experience with him calling me every week and you know he would make you feel guilty about not finding him work and yeah. that was the worst part because <clears throat> as a recruiter you want to help the individual no matter if if he's written a legal document and you know uh, saying that these are his conditions however ridiculous they are you want to help him find a job because that's why he's calling you and you want to help your candidate that's so, yeah Did you did you did you sit down with him and sort of say you know just are you familiar with the expression tough love, like where right yeah where a parent sits down with their child and goes like look I'm going to tell you this straight don't do like and they they tell you a brutal home truth right did you did you sit him down and go like look I'm just going to tell you this straight companies do not want to see candidates who send in their own conditions to like that's a no no they're going to red flag. I did, I did everything. But he was like a, a bad girlfriend that that would no. wouldn't stop stopping you even after you broke it up. Oh dear! I had I I had a yeah. a couple of nightmare candidates. Um, both when I was working at a, at a consultancy, um, and I was I was an in-house recruiter there. <clears throat> and uh, the first one was he was a a salesy guy, uh, and he came in. But for a sort of managerial, salesy consultant role, um, but it was like it wasn't like interviewing a person. It was like interviewing an alien who was pretending to be a human, pretending to be a salesman. <laughs> like he was so over the top, like salesy and positive. I mean, we're you know we're chatting here, and I'm saying that you guys are positive. This guy was like a positive salesman who had just eaten a load of ecstasy. Like he was so. So over the top and happy and like positive and uh, ambitious. Like I, I asked him, I said, you know, the usual HRE questions. I said stuff like, um, you know, so why should we hire you over somebody else? Or you know, what is it about this company that you are really excited by? And but every answer that he gave was something along the lines of like, well, yes, every day I just, you know, I wake up, I I roll over and I I kiss my wife on the cheek and I say, yes, today I'm going to achieve. And it, like I was trying to keep a straight face in this inter, I was just like, like after the fourth time of just hearing this sort of radio advert of optimism going yeah. into my like, okay, cool. So are you interviewing anywhere else? Well, no, because it's just this company that I'm really enthusiastic. Like, I was like, oh my god, I can't take this. And anyway, so I wrote my feedback, and I thought, 
I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to wait until I read the feedback from the, the directors who also are seeing him. So I left it like... There is, there is, a, there is a TV show in England for such a, people. Yeah. You should have sent oh, him to Lord Sugar. Mate, yes. Yeah. He, well, I mean, yeah, I should have. But I think he would have been eaten up. Yeah. Or, 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 you, or even better... Back in the days, you could have sent him to yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah, right. I mean... Because he was hosting The Apprentice U He US. should have been on on a... Yeah, like a Channel 5 documentary called When when Enthusiasm is Actually a Bad Thing. Like, that's... that's he was just so over the top. And, it, like, the feedback from the directors who interviewed him after me, the feedback just said, Oh, dear. No. And... Uh, Oh, and I felt so oh. bad for him. Like I went yeah. home to my girlfriend afterwards and I was like, I've interviewed this guy today and he was so enthusiastic and ambitious and optimistic about everything. He was, it was like, like talking to a cartoon character. He was just bouncing off the wall, like so over the top. And I felt so bad for him because it yeah. was like he had woken up that morning and he'd probably told his wife like, yeah, I've got a really good feeling about this interview today. I'm, you know, I'm wearing my best tie and, you know, and then it's just, yeah dream smashed and i felt bad but i truly do not know what what job someone like that should do maybe i don't know maybe late night radio dj or something but yeah and then another guy was um uh he was a graduate at the same consultancy he was a graduate kid so i guess about 21 22 and he came in for this assessment center and you know they did all their exercises that they do um and then they're asked to prepare a presentation and blah 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 anyway then one of the directors sends me some feedback and says look yes to these ones no to these ones here's the feedback for these ones and uh, against this guy's name it says uh, very low energy looked like he was going to fall asleep um uh just you know maybe maybe not this time so then i have the unenviable task of phoning this guy up and saying you know, trying to find a way to say you yeah. were low energy and you look like you're going to fall asleep. So I phoned him up and I just said, you know, unfortunately on this occasion, not going to move forward. Uh, and uh, I said, um, uh, and he said, what? And I said, yeah, well, you know, there's it's stiff competition. You know, we're a very uh, sought after consultancy and there was lots of graduates. And unfortunately this time there were a few people that got in there, you know, a little bit stronger. And he was like, well, no, I don't understand. Like what, what did I do wrong? And I said, well, it's not really about what you did wrong. It's about like, you know, there were stronger candidates and, you know, we, we assess people on the, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying my best to sort of get myself out of where this conversation is yeah. slowly tanking to. And it, none of it works. Yeah. He just gets more and more depressed, more and more hysterical. He's on the phone to me and he's saying, like, yeah. I know I've, I've like I've worked my entire life for this. And now it's all just for nothing. Like he's, he's really breaking down. And I'm like, I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, it's really not for nothing. Like you can you can apply again next year. And there's there's dozens of other consultancies, you know. And he was like, no, this is the one I'm supposed to. I do. Like he starts like crying over the phone and he's like, you have to you have to tell me what yeah. i did wrong you have to tell me and i'm now i'm backed into a corner because i'm like if i can't tell him what he did wrong i'm never going to get this guy off the phone so i just said like yeah. um i said well look okay look some feedback came in that um you know whilst everyone else was very sort of dynamic and forthright and uh articulate that perhaps you were you felt a bit reserved a bit held back and uh uh, and he was like, is, is that it? And I was like, yeah. And then I made the mistake of saying like, and, you know, there was this uh, perception that maybe you hadn't got enough sleep the night before and you were a bit tired. And uh, and then something in his head just clicked and he just went, was that the director that said that? And I said, um, no, I don't. I was trying to dig myself out of it again. And uh, yeah. he goes, I, you know, I didn't want to say anything, but that director, she was she was falling. Like, it was so childish. He was like, it was her that was falling asleep. She was the tired one. And I was like, OK, look, I haven't got time for this. Uh, and I said, I said, look, I'm really sorry. It hasn't worked out this time, but I really do mean it. Like, you should apply again. And I said, let's just, you know, leave it there. Hope that our bridges cross in the future. And um, and yeah, but I felt fucking horrendous after that. I, like have you i guess you deal with this all the time but like that was the first time i'd ever dealt with that yeah. and i really felt like i'd i'd crushed someone's dreams but is that 
I mean, you've been doing this for 20 odd years, Abhishek. Do you, do you crush people's dreams once every week? Well, not really. I mean, we don't have candidates who get so animated about uh, about not get not getting an offer. But yes, you more than their dreams. A lot of times, it's our dreams that get crushed. Because, to be honest, we look for placements mm. as well, and we want to find the candidates' jobs. We want to obviously make yeah. money out of it, and you know, it's it's the same for everyone, isn't it? In the end. Uh, if you don't get an offer, you don't get an offer. So we don't get it. We don't get to make any money. The candidate doesn't get any placements. But these stories are funny. But if you look on mm -hmm. the human side of it, it's it's also it's just like my candidate as well. I mean, yes, he was a little odd, just like every other guy is. He had written a contract and everything. But as a recruiter, you gotta always try and help people so these mm. stories are funny but you know we, we kind of always go back to the, we, we have a laugh about these candidates but it's always that you know okay how can we help these this individual secure a job so i mean we our dreams get crushed more often than these candidates no matter how odd how how different they are yeah, from yeah. other people we we kind of have to find them a job and we struggle with it every day but yeah these make for a funny story, but on the other end, it's also it's also disheartening for the for the recruiters themselves when they're not able to find the job for for yeah. an individual. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Listen, man. I, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, it's been really interesting to get your. Uh, your perspectives on things um but we've got to we've got to wrap it up i'm trying to keep these to a fairly neat hour long um so yeah once again thanks very much for yep. joining me um and uh if anyone wants to get in touch about tech recruitment you guys cover like london and india and everywhere else internationally or internationally all over the world wherever somebody is looking for a tech job we we can find them candidates anywhere in the world local global however they want to recruit so that's what we do the specialization kind of lies in uh, financial technology which is fintech and uh, the hub spots kind of lie around with mm. london singapore and the market mostly the new york space and right now we have got really good amount of traction i would say going around in the australian space which is ex itself is a very exciting sure. space as well yeah so yeah uh, we, we are kind of the perspective is global and we are doing a global business across so, yeah. excellent cool well if anyone wants to to get hold of you uh, i guess they look um first and foremost like uh, linkedin finex recruitment is that right cool exactly Finex. and um yeah until we until we next chat or catch up then uh yeah all the best stay safe speak to you guys soon bye take care thank you bye bye, -bye.